Uh, please be seated. The Bible reading today is from Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through to 21. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, uh, Judea, Captites, residents, uh, sorry, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet of Joel. The prophet Joel, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Thanks. Thank you, Josh. It's good to get Josh to read it because there's a lot of big words in there. So it gets me out of them. Today we're continuing our series through the book of Acts. And if you've been missing for the the first couple of weeks of this series, um, you'll know that you won't know that the series has been called From the Word Go. That we are called to be a group of people who are called by God uh, to go and be people on mission. And so throughout this series we have an ongoing visual and the visual are balloons. And the idea is that balloons, when they go up into the air, will go wherever the wind leads them. And we as a church here at Follow Baptist Church, as a community of people, need to be people who go wherever the Spirit leads us when it comes to mission in our everyday lives. And so week one we looked at a bit of background uh, from the book of Acts. We discovered that the author uh, is Luke and we decided that's a really good name. Uh, In fact, it's Dr. Luke. And uh, he wrote the the book of Acts, and he also did the Gospel of Luke. And so in the Gospel of Luke, uh, he paints this glorious vision of who Jesus is, uh, who he is, what he did, what he taught, what he's promised for the future. And then he writes his second volume, which is the book of Acts. And so from this incredible vision, these people of God were so captivated by Jesus, so transformed by him, so changed by him, that they then went and told the whole world about him. And that's what we read about in the book of Acts. And so the second week we looked at how this gospel is going to spread geographically, starting in Jerusalem where they were at, spreading out to Judea, then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, all the way to the officer region in the southeastern growth corridor of Melbourne. 
The gospel is spreading geographically all the time. And so we worked out and we spoke about how that was going to happen. We talked about the fact that we need to be people who live incarnational lives, dwelling with people in our spheres of influence. But not only dwelling with people, we need to also do it with a missional posture, that we're always open, that we're always listening to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, that we're always willing to speak truth into people's lives as the Spirit leads. We also looked at Jesus' words uh, in the first chapter where he says, don't go anywhere, don't go on this mission I've got for you until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so today we get to uh, what I've titled this message, uh, the big moment, the big moment in the book of Acts, the giving of the Spirit. Now, our oldest daughter, Adele, she's turning 18. Uh, She's there. She loves it when I talk about her in sermons. It's fantastic. Uh, She's turning 18 uh, this year on the 3rd of October on a Saturday. And a couple of months ago, I had to break the bad news to her that we weren't able to celebrate her birthday this year on her actual birthday. And the reason for that is that it's fallen on a sacred day in Melbourne. Uh, We call it the AFL Grand Final Day. And there's only one thing that happens in the Williams household on Grand Final Day, and that is that we watch the footy. And so we've had to rearrange, uh, you know, another time. But in all seriousness, uh, it's a big milestone. And turning 18 is is a great thing. And we're going to celebrate that at a more appropriate time. But it's really uh, going to be a big moment. Adele is looking forward to this big moment in her life, the moment when she gets a licence, the moment where she can have the keys and, and drive by herself. And we're looking forward to this big moment as well because we get to pass the baton to the new number one taxi driver in our family uh, as Adele gets to take kids to school and pick them up from youth group and do all those exciting things that we as parents currently get to experience. And so I'm sure the novelty will wear off. But it's fair to say in the book of Acts that this passage that Josh read this morning is talking about the big moment, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Uh, In this time in history, the Jewish people from throughout the Roman world, would gather three times each year for three major feasts. The Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was only about 50 days after Passover. So what would happen, people would come from a, a fairly long distance and they'd all gather in Jerusalem and many of them would come for Passover, but instead of going home and coming back 50 days later, they would just stay in Jerusalem for those 50 days and wait for Pentecost. And so the passage that was read this morning was likely to have happened in a time where Jerusalem was very crowded. Lots of people were gathered there for this significant event. In verse 5 of the passage that we read, it said that they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And so people from everywhere had come and gathered. And in the first verse of the chapter, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. We know that there were 120 of the apostles and other followers of Jesus who were gathered in an upper room. And in verse 2, it tells us what happened when they gathered in that room. It says, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, a little bit like the wind I heard this morning when I woke up. That kind of wind. Suddenly, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a gift that Jesus has been talking about, the one that he told them to wait for before they went on mission. And so they were filled with the Holy Spirit and look what happens next. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
So what we're seeing here, um, regardless of what we think about this situation, is a supernatural, divine empowering from on high that will equip this group of people to be a p- people who go on mission. And so today we're going to look at three roles of the Holy Spirit that come about from this passage. And the first one is this, that the Holy Spirit empowers. In the first chapter, verse 8, Jesus promised that they would receive, what would they receive? No one's read it, great. Chapter 1, verse 8, they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. So they would be witnesses of Christ to all of creation. And so the initial outworking in this particular encounter was this phenomenon of speaking in tongues. And we're going to get to that in a few minutes. But what I want you to see this morning when I'm talking about being empowered is the transformation, the absolute transformation that we see in the life of a man called Peter. The Holy Spirit comes upon them at Pentecost. And then we read this about Peter in verse 14. It says, Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. And then for the next few verses we read this incredible sermon a powerful sermon, so powerful that at the end of the sermon in verse 41, it says about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Now, to put that in perspective, this morning there's about 150 people in this room. And in this particular sermon, 3,000 people were so impacted by what Peter said that they gave their life to the Lord Jesus Christ for the very first time. This message was so powerful that it cut through to their heart to the point that they were convicted and challenged and they they cried out, we need Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. And so it would be easy to read this passage of Scripture and really think, well, Peter's an incredible man. You know, he must be a, a wonderful preacher, so bold, so gifted. He must have this real authority about him. But the truth is, that if we read this passage in isolation, you'd have a very overinflated opinion of Peter because he wasn't as great as what he might seem in this particular passage. And so what do we know about Peter prior to this moment? Well, we know that Peter was one of Jesus' first followers. He was a humble fisherman and he was on the, at the banks of Galilee fishing and, and Jesus called him and he gave up everything and he followed Jesus. And so for the last three years of his life, he's been following Jesus everywhere. He's witnessed the miracles. He's heard Jesus' teaching. He's been transformed. On one occasion, he actually said, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the Chosen One. And so he's seen what Jesus had been doing. But we also know that Peter was the most outspoken of the disciples. He was the first to step off the side of the boat. He was always the first to speak. And and nearly every group has a person like this, don't they? Peter was the guy, he'd just blurt something out and then he'd think about it later and so his kind of his words were sort of going like that and then his thoughts were kind of tracking somewhere behind, lagging behind to catch up. He always seemed to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. But perhaps the most damning thing we know about Peter is that Peter's the man that denied Jesus three times after he was arrested. Now Jesus predicted this would happen. He said to Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Now, if you put yourself in Peter's shoes, he's given up everything to follow Jesus. He's given up his career. He's probably given up his family. He's following Jesus uh, everywhere he goes. You can imagine being a bit offended when Jesus says, you know, I know you've given up everything, but, but in, a, in the near future, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's horrified. He can't believe it. He's offended. And he says, that's, that's not right. That won't happen. I will never deny you. He says, I'm ready to go to prison. In fact, I'm ready to die before I deny knowing who you are. 
James and John, the rest of the disciples, they might run off. They might all leave you, but I will never leave you. But we read in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of John that he actually did. After Jesus' arrest, three times he was questioned. First of all, a woman came to him and said, looked at him closely and said, this man was with him. And straight away he looked to her face and he said, woman, I don't know him. And then a man came up and said, you are one of them. You're a disciple of Jesus. And he looked again in the man's eyes and he said, I am not. And a third person came up and said, certainly this fellow was with him. I mean, I saw him with my own eyes. I saw him hanging out with Jesus. He said, you don't know what you're talking about. It's not true. I don't know the man. And then the rooster crowed. Peter whimped it. So easy, isn't it, to look at an account like this and think, how could he? He knew who Jesus was. How could he wimp it? How could he fail at such a pivotal moment? And yet, when we turn the mirror on ourselves, we realise we've all done it. We've all had moments where we've wimped it. I remember in primary school and even early high school when people would say, you're a Christian. i say, no, I'm not. I remember plainly denying it to their face. I remember um, people saying, you go to church? i say, well, my parents do. What did you do on the weekend? Well, well, I went to the footy and I, you know, I hung out the washing and I hung out with some mates and I cleaned my room and I watched a movie and I'd list absolutely everything, but I'd always coincidentally forget to mention church. And you're thinking, how's this guy a pastor? It's a good question. (laughs) I'm only saved by the fact that you're all in the same boat as me. We've all wimped it at different times. We've all had times in our life where we should have stepped up, but we have shrunk back. And so in Acts chapter 2, we see this bold man, Peter, preaching one of the most powerful messages ever preached. But just a short time before, we have this man denying he even knew him. So what changed? Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and it empowered him to be a witness of Christ. Instead of standing down, the passage said he stood up. Instead of shrinking back, the passage says he raised his voice. Instead of denying Jesus, he addressed the crowd. And he told them all about him. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. A few months ago at Beaconsfield, I had the chance to share the story of what I did this Anzac Day. This Anzac Day, I had the privilege of going in with my grandfather into the Anzac Day parade. And I was able to march with him in the parade. Uh, He's 90 years old now and he served in World War II as a gunner in the plains. I had the privilege of walking with him in this parade and it was an amazing day. One of the most memorable days of my life and I was so impressed with the Melbourne public, how they embraced the diggers and how they clapped for people as they walked past and it was just a really special day that I'll never forget. When the day came to an end, we needed to jump on the train and come from the city all the way back to Pakenham. So Grandad and I jumped on the train and we sat there and a few minutes after we left, up the end of the carriage, we were kind of in the middle, we saw a commotion happening at the end of the carriage. And it was kind of like a wave coming down the carriage and this wave was coming in the form of three teenage girls. And these three teenage girls were pretty wild and pretty out of control and they were kind of harassing everyone as they came down the carriage. They were ridiculing people, they were making fun of a couple of people that didn't speak English and I thought to myself, the moment's going to come where they land right in front of me and it's going to be my turn. And sure enough, They did. This young girl, uh, she was the first one to get there and she sat right down in front of me and she looked me in the eyes and she pointed at me and she said, what's your name? And I must admit, I was trying to think of a fake name, but I couldn't do it quick enough on the spot. And uh, so I just said, my name's Luke. And my granddad was uh, 
sitting next to me and before I had a chance to say anything else, in the meantime, these, the other two girls had arrived and they're all standing there now as like an audience. Before I could say anything else, my granddad chimed in, my 90-year-old grandfather. And what these girls didn't realise is that they were creating a wave but they were about to be hit by a cyclone of the Holy Spirit in the form of my 90-year-old grandfather. And he says, yeah, his name's Luke and he's a Baptist pastor and he loves Jesus. Do you know Jesus? <laughs> the ringleader just looked at us and she started to ridicule Jesus. She said, baby Jesus, baby Jesus. My granddad said, you know what? God doesn't like it when you use his name in vain, but he'll forgive you for that. You know what he won't forgive you for? If you reject his son, Jesus. You'd never believe the changes from the girls instantly. These rebellious, loud, obnoxious, rude girls stopped like a deer in a headlight as my granddad and I tag team for the next 20 minutes sharing the whole gospel with them. The whole gospel. They were asking questions. They were listening. And at the end of the conversation, they asked if they could take our number and they haven't rung, but I hope they still do. We found out in the, in the course of the conversation that they were residential care kids from the other side of Melbourne, probably with no role models. I don't know whether they've ever heard anyone talk about Jesus before. But the one thing that left me with a lasting impact was this, that these young, energetic, strong girls were no match for a frail 90-year-old war veteran, not because he was physically intimidating or bigger than them, but simply because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit who gave him the words to say at that particular moment. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is sending out his disciples and he says, you know what, you're going to have a hard time of it. This Christian message is not popular they hated me, they're going to hate you as well. And they're going to drag you before the synagogues. They're going to drag you before the authorities. They're going to falsely accuse you. But he says, do not worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. In the passage we read today in verse 17, it says, In the last days God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will speak the word of God. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. And verse 21 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now last week we were talking about being a missional community, a group of people who are on mission. What we're really talking about is loving people radically. We're talking about uh, loving people sacrificially, blessing our neighbours, connecting with our local community, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And if we're honest with ourselves, the thought of that can be very intimidating. I don't know if you've noticed, but over the years it seems that people have become increasingly antagonistic towards the Christian message. It's no longer a popular or widely held opinion. People don't like to hear about Jesus. And so we're intimidated thinking, well, what if people don't like what we have to say? What if they're more intellectual than I am? What if they ask me a question I don't understand? What if I don't know much? And they're all good questions to ask. And I think in our own strength, we actually can't give them an adequate answer. We don't have the boldness. We don't have the courage. We don't have the wisdom. We don't have the words. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we will be empowered to be his witnesses. Church, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit every single day, over and over again. We need him. We need to trust in him. We need to rely on him. We need to be empowered by him as a church as an, and as individuals. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The second thing the Holy Spirit does, and we see it in this passage, is that the Holy Spirit unites us. 
This morning we've got our American brothers and sisters here with us this morning and it's great having brothers and sisters in Christ here. They, they're from a different continent, a different country and yet we are united in Christ. But we have many differences. And I thought this morning I might just list a few of the cultural differences we have. Uh, here in Australia our family sized pizzas are this big and in America your small pizzas are this big. Uh, in America you have uh, pretend football, you call it gridiron. Uh, in Australia we have real football, we call it Australian rules because it rules. You guys drive on, um, what side of the road do you drive on? You drive, <laughs> we drive on the left hand side of the road, am I right? Yes. We call, you drive on the right hand side of the road, we call it the wrong side, you call it the right side because it's the right hand side and we drive on the left hand side of the road. Um, I was reading a book a little while ago written by an um, American author and he was talking about a homeless guy on the street and he said the term he used was a bum. In Australia, we don't use that term for that. We use it for our backside. It's what we're sitting on this morning. And so we have many differences, many differences culturally. Um, but our unity is not defined by the size of our pizzas and it's not determined by the way we drive our cars or whether we like pretend football or real football or what we call our backsides. Our unity comes from the work of the Holy Spirit whose primary role is to point us to Jesus. And in Jesus, we're reminded that we are one in him, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 to 6. Say, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The Holy Spirit unites us together in Christ. But one of the ironic things is this, that there's probably no other theological issue that divides Christian more than the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And often the controversy is centred around this gift of tongues that we read about in this passage. And over the years I've heard two really extreme views. At one extreme end, people say, well, you have to speak in tongues to be saved. If you don't speak in tongues, then you're not a Christian. Uh, Clearly I don't hold that view. At the other extreme end of the spectrum, we hear people say, well, tongues are of the devil. And I don't hold that view either. I think the good thing about extremes is sometimes we find ourselves balanced somewhere in the middle. And so I want to start by addressing the first extreme. The first extreme is this, that tongues are definitely, 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 definitely not necessary for salvation. The message of Christianity is that we cannot be saved by anything we do. It's not about what we do or don't do. It's not about how good we are or how bad we are. It's not about our actions or our works. To believe that we can earn a relationship with God through anything we do is to rob the gospel of its power. Because the power of gospel is God's unconditional love poured out on even the worst of sinners. And the good news of Christianity is that no matter how messed up you are, No matter what you've done wrong in the past, you are not beyond the boundaries of God's incredible love because Jesus on the cross died in your place. He died in my place for the things that we have done wrong. And so when we accept what Jesus did for us at Calvary, when we receive him as our Lord and Saviour, our sins are forgiven because all of our sins are placed on him and our punishment is paid in full. Meaning that when God looks at us, he no longer sees sinners, dirty, filthy, unrighteous, but he sees righteous, forgiven, accepted in the eyes of God in Christ. This passage tells us in verse 21 that everyone 
who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. And it's great news, isn't it? It's amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Anyone tries to tell you that you need to do anything other than call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, they are leading you down the wrong path and they are preaching to you a false gospel. So tongues are definitely not necessary for salvation. But I don't believe they're of the devil either. They're right here in Scripture. And I think the main debate centred around tongues is the purpose of tongues. Are tongues only just speaking in another legitimate known language or are they at times also used by God to speak in an unknown language? And I think that the answer is probably both. And I think the answer is both because of what I see in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2, the Apostle Paul talks about this spiritual gift. He says these words, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies or speaks the word of God speaks to people for their strengthening, their encouraging and their comfort. But anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. And so in this passage, Paul makes it clear that tongues is not speaking to people, but speaking to God. He says that no one understands when someone is speaking in tongues, they are uttering mysteries by the Spirit. And he also says that when someone speaks in tongues, it's not for the edification of people around them, but for their own edification, for building up their own faith. But when we read about tongues in Acts chapter 2, it seems to be very different because tongues in this context are speaking to the people who are present. Verse 9 says, The Parthians, the Medes, the Alamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Persia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Credans and Arabs, we all hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. And so it's clear that when this gift is being used by the apostles and the disciples in a supernatural way, they are speaking to the people that are present. But Paul said in Corinthians that no one understands what they're saying, but it's clear in this passage that all the people were hearing the gospel in their own language. The previous passage in Corinthians, Paul says tongues were for their own edification, but clearly in Acts chapter 2, it's for the edification of every person there. No matter what nation they are from, they understood the gospel in their own language. And so tongues, I believe, are a legitimate spiritual gift, sometimes used for declaring a known language, as in Acts chapter 2, and sometimes for declaring an unknown language, as in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I understand sitting or standing in a Baptist church, there's probably a lot of people that disagree with me, and that's fine. I'm happy for you to disagree with me. It's really important as Christians that we unite around the primary truths of the gospel, that Jesus lived, that he died, that he rose again, that he's coming back for his people. We believe in the Trinity. We believe in salvation by grace alone and faith alone. But there's always going to be secondary issues that are not tied up with salvation that we need to come to our own convictions on. And we should never divide around those things, but we should unite around the primary things and keep humbly seeking God on the secondary things. Keep looking at the word, keep praying, keep seeking God until we come to our own convictions on some of these things. The real question for today's sermon is this. What was the purpose of tongues in Acts chapter 2? What's happening in this passage? 
Well, I believe what's happening in this passage is a reversal of what happened at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. Uh, In Genesis, if you've read it, God's people were told to go forth and multiply, to be a blessing to all creation. But instead of doing that, they stayed. They stayed where they were. And, And in the Tower of Babel account, we read that they built a tower that they wanted to reach up to the heavens. And they said, we're building this tower for one reason and one reason alone, and that is to make a name for ourselves. So here are these people, they were told by God to go and be a blessing, but they decide to stay and make a name for themselves. And so if you know the story, God comes into that situation and he confuses their language. And as a result, they can't unite together, they're scattered and they go into their different tribes and we have nationalities today as a result of that moment. But at Pentecost, what I believe is happening is God is saying, this is the end of Babel and the beginning of a new humanity, a beginning of what I want to call the church where instead of people climbing up to God, trying to make a name for themselves, we testify that God has come down to us in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, not in judgment, but for salvation. Instead of people gathering in one location to make their own name great, we're now scattering right across the earth to make God's name great. Instead of language being a barrier to man's mission of self-glorification, languages at Pentecost are now redeemed in order for God's name to be glorified. And so that everyone could understand the gospel in the language they spoke. And so what we see at Pentecost is, is our mission. It's the church. It's our mission to go and to scatter and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so at Pentecost, God, through the work of the Spirit, was uniting us together. And so the Holy Spirit empowers. The Holy Spirit unites. And finally this morning, the Holy Spirit is a gift. It's an incredible gift because it's the gift of God himself. As Christians, we believe in the Trinity, one God with three distinct persons. We believe that because scripture teaches it. When you look at some of the key moments throughout the Bible, you see the Trinity in action. At creation, you see God the Father creating. You see Jesus there as well. Uh, John chapter 1 tells us in the beginning uh, was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word is Jesus. And at the same account, we see the Spirit of God hovering over the waters Then we see when mankind is created, God says, let us, not let me, make man in our, not my, image. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right there in creation of the heavens and the earth and humanity. We see it again at the baptism of Jesus. God the Son going through the waters of baptism. The Holy Spirit descends upon him. And then you hear the audible voice of the Father saying, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. We saw it last week again in the Great Commission. Jesus says, go, baptise people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we believe in one God, three persons. And what we saw in Jesus was Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. But Jesus, when he took on humanity, was bound by humanity in many ways. Geographically, he had the same struggles physically that we have. So he was God in human form, but he was bound by those things. He was God with us. And the Holy Spirit is God with us, but also God in us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. He fills us. He equips us for ministry and for mission. And the Spirit's job is to point us back to the Son in order to ultimately glorify the Father. And so here at Follow Baptist Church, we want to be a Spirit-led church. People often say, what does that mean? 
We want to be people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by Him, relying on Him. We, we need the Spirit to guide us into all truth. We need the Holy Spirit to cope throughout the week when we're out in the midst of the world. We need the Holy Spirit for preaching. We need Him for appointing leaders. We need Him for worship. We need Him for community. We need Him for mission. Because the Holy Spirit empowers. The Holy Spirit unites us. With all of our differences, He brings us together. And the Holy Spirit is an incredible gift, pointing us to Jesus and empowering us for mission. Let's not be afraid of him. Let's embrace him in our lives. Let's be filled by him every day to be the people that God is calling us to be. Let's bow our heads and I'm going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you so much for the book of Acts. We thank you that it challenges us. It causes us to think about life and about faith and about mission. And Lord, I thank you today for this incredible gift that we've read about, the gift of the Holy Spirit the gift of God himself. We thank you that you are with us, that you are in us. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us today, that you'd fill us afresh, that you'd be with us this week as we have conversations with people, that you would guide us by your spirit. As we read your word, that you would point us to a greater understanding of who you are and that as we go from this place, that you would equip us by your spirit